0: Well, I've, I've got a, a sermon for you today, how to make God number one in your life. And I, I think that's imperative that God be number one in our life. And you know what? It's one thing to say that. I want God to be first place in my life in 2018. It's quite another thing to actually flesh that out and make Him number one in our life. But we're going to learn how to do that today. And I'd like to begin by reading one verse of Scripture found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, Verse 30, and here's what Jesus said is the very first and greatest commandment. He said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment. And and here's what I know, if if God is going to be number one in our life, we're going to have to love God and worship God with everything that we have. Our heart, soul, our mind, and our strength. But let's also learn today some very practical ways that we can implement that. Heavenly Father, I pray that as I try to speak on the outside, you would speak on the inside. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have complete control over this service and this sermon. Lord, speak to our hearts, challenge us, help us to want to be a follower of Jesus to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to develop some of these disciplines in our life that will draw us close to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I recently ran across a book, the title of which fascinated me. It's entitled, The First Really Important Survey of American Habits. And what this book does is, describe all the different kinds of habits that we as americans have and i hope you understand and know not all habits are bad habits okay they're, they're, really our life is a sum total of the habits that we have established the things that we do just over and over again Every single day. And so here are some of the habits that Americans have. And I thought it would be a wonderful thing to do this morning to have a little survey to see how Kavanaugh church people fit into this national survey. Okay? So will you do this with me? Let's have a little fun. Okay? You ready? The the first one has to do with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Who loves peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? How many of you have ever made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Okay, this is what this survey is about. When preparing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which goes on the first layer? Do you put peanut butter on, or do you put the jelly on first? Okay, well, most of you, I think, fit into the American standard. Ninety-six percent peanut butter goes on first. Four percent say jelly. You might say, "Well, preacher, I, you know." I make them on separate pieces of bread. I put the peanut butter on one piece, the jelly on the other. That's the way I do it, but you know what? I always still put the peanut butter on first. (laughs) Survey question number two How do you store your socks? Do you roll them up or do you fold them flat? 51% of Americans roll them up, 49 flat. How many of y'all just throw them in your drawer? There you go. There you go. The the next question has to do with the habit of biting your fingernails. How many of you bite your fingernails? Raise your hand. Well, apparently a bunch of you are lying because 96% of Americans bite their fingernails. 96 percent. Some of you clip them during church. I know because you leave your. Oh, it gets better. What about biting your toenails? Did you Did you know that I saw a hand back there? But did you know Did you know that 25 percent of Americans bite their toenails? Lord have mercy, I can't even get my foot up. T- All right, we're having fun now. Okay, here's another question. Do you replace an empty roll of toilet tissue or do you leave it for the next person to replace? Okay, here, here, more specific. How many of you prefer that it roll over or under the spool? 68% of Americans are over, 32% of Americans are under. Now, how many of you overs married an under? That explains the problems you're having right there, right? Here's, here's what I'm trying to get to, all right? Settle down, kids. The fact, the fact of the matter is habits shape our lives. I've I've wondered this. Why is it that some people are much more effective than other people? Why is it that some people seem to accomplish more in 24 hours than somebody else can in an entire week? Why is it that some people reach their goals? They soar to greater heights. They get more out of life than other people. Why is it that some people generally are just more effective than others? I think the answer is this. Effective people have developed some disciplines in their life that ineffective people are unwilling to develop and maintain. I think it comes down to that. Uh, I'm going to quit talking about this. This is probably the last Sunday I'll mention it, but uh, I've I've just been really intrigued this this football season with the success of the Greenwood football team. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And I know, I know I need to just get over that, and, and I'm about over it. But it, it just, it made, not only are they the, the 6A state champions, it, it could be easily debated that they're the best high school team in the state of Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, really, seriously. It, they are the smallest 6A team, yet they, they annihilated not only 6A schools, but 7A schools. And, and so one day I asked one of the players, who happens to live in the same home that I live in, I said, Zane. What is it that makes Greenwood so dominant and so good? I mean, every team you play against is bigger than you are, and they're faster than you are. What makes the difference? And without even hesitating or thinking about it, he said to me, it's discipline, Dad. It's discipline. Our players are disciplined. Our coaches are disciplined. Everybody knows their position and plays their position, and we're just disciplined. I think that's what makes people successful. They have... They have some disciplined habits in their life that they have established and they maintain. Ineffective people, they just don't have that. I think it even filters down in the Christian life. I mean, I've asked and wondered, why is it that some Christians just seem to be more dynamic than others? Why is it that some Christians seem to grow while others don't? Why is it that some Christians seem to have answered prayers and more of God's blessing on their life? Why is it that it seems like God singles out some people and blesses their lives more than he blesses other people's lives? Well, I think it's the same answer. Effective Christians have committed themselves to holy habits that ineffective Christians are unwilling to commit themselves to. And so today, we're going to look at three spiritual disciplines that I believe are absolutely essential for spiritual health. Now, I have been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. Can you believe that? I've been following Jesus for 50 years, and I have met thousands and thousands of other Christians... And what I am about to share with you this morning is the common denominator of every growing Christian I know. It doesn't matter what age classification they are, what sex they are, where they grew up, where they live, what kind of church they go to, you will find these habits in every growing dynamic Christian. And I don't believe they're optional If you want to grow, you have got to do these three things. If if you really want God to be number one in your life, then God has got to be number one in these three areas. And these three habits deal with three very important areas in our life. They deal with our time, our money, and our relationships. And I've probably piqued your interest with at least one of those, all right? Now, in these three areas, you need to develop some good, holy habits. And I'll say it again. If God is number one in your time, if God is number one in your money, and if God is number one in your relationships, then he's going to be number one in your life. And if he's not, then he's not. It doesn't matter what you say with your mouth. You know, they'll say the proof's in the pudding. So he's got to be number one in my time, my money, my relationship. So are you ready for these three holy habits? The first one I'm calling discipleship. And here's my little catchphrase. You need to get time with God every single day. It's not optional. Every day you need to spend time with God. You do that by reading the Bible and by praying. We call this having a quiet time. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And church, that's not an option. He's not giving us an option to do that. He's saying, as a believer, it's your duty to mature. It's your duty to grow up. It's your duty to get off the milk of the Word and into the meat of the Word. You are to grow in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, for each one of these holy habits or disciplines, I'm going to talk about the reason you need to do it, the routine you go through, and also the result of what's going to happen if you put this discipline into practice. So, here's the first one with discipleship, getting time alone with God every day. What's the reason for it? Well, there are many reasons to do that, but I think the number one reason is that's where I get direction for living. When I spend time alone with God, God is going to give me direction. Psalm 25 verse 4 clearly states, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me. Woo! I need that. I need God to lead me. Sometimes, sometimes we get so busy in life that we not only know... Where we need to go and what we need to be doing, we lose direction. I mean, we're so busy, we're, we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off. You know? It, it reminds me of the uh, pilot in World War II flying over the Pacific. He radioed in. I have absolutely no idea where I'm at or where I'm going. I'm lost, but I'm making record time. <laughs> that describes our lives, does it not? I mean, we do live a busy life. And 2018 is going to be just as busy. However, we need to slow down and get direction from God. And we do that every day as we spend time with Him. Reading His Word. We talk to God in prayer. God talks back to us through His Word. And we get direction. Okay, Let me try to make sense of this. Every Not only major decision that I make in my life, but almost all decisions I make in my life become clear to me during my quiet time. It's when I'm reading God's Word and when I'm praying that God gives me direction. Now guys, it only makes sense to me that if God is the one who gives us direction, we need to stay pretty tight with God. I mean, I don't want to come up to a point in my life where I've got to make this huge decision and I'm thinking, you know, I need to ask God's advice on this and have to go reintroduce myself to God because it's been so long since I've talked to him. No, if I'm talking to God every day, then when a difficulty arises and I need direction, all I have to do is whisper a prayer and he knows me because we stay in close contact with each other. So here's the reason why. The reason I get time with God every day is to receive direction. What's the routine? The routine is that you get alone with God. Just you and God every single day. Luke 5, 16. Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and he prayed. Now here's a point worth noting. You really can't get to know God on a personal basis in a crowd. Very well. Now, you can get to know God in a crowd, but you can't get to know God well in a crowd. No, that is a relationship that has to be developed on a one on one basis. Notice it says that Jesus did this often. He often withdrew. And I can't, nobody lived a busier life than Jesus Christ, but his quiet time was the source of his strength, and so he did it daily. What's the result? Well, when you spend time with God every day, you get God's help, you get God's direction, and you get strength. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask for anything you wish and it shall be given unto you. Now, that's a pretty incredible promise, isn't it? Have I lost you somewhere? Come on, let's get back on the path together, all right? That's an incredible promise. Okay? Does God lie? No, God never lies. He says, if you ask for it, you'll have it. And you say, well, why don't I have it? Well, maybe it's because you have failed to meet the premise. <laughs> you see, with every promise in God's Word, there is a premise. God said, I will do this if you do this. And there is a condition for every promise of God in the Bible. He says here, if you do two things, then I'll answer your prayer. What's the first one? He says, if you remain in me. He says, remain in me. That is, talk to me, fellowship with me, get alone with me on a regular basis. Remain in me. And what's the second requirement? My words must remain in you. That is, you read the Word of God and it sticks with you. And the only way it's going to stick with you is if you obey it, if you flesh it out, if you do it. That's what it means when Jesus says, let my words remain in you. You're actually living and fleshing out the word of God. And he says, when you do this, then I'm going to open up the world to you, man. But here's the premise. You've got to remain in me, and my words must remain in you. So, if you want to be successful, if you want to have a great 2018, if you want God to be number one in your life, first requirement, develop the holy habit of getting time with God every single day. I have people ask me the question, well, preacher, when do you think the best time is for a person to have a quiet time? And my answer to that is this, well, it's whenever you're at your best. Because you want to give your best to God. So if that's early in the morning, let it be. If it's at noon, let it be. If, if you're a night person and you're at your best at 10 o'clock at night, let that be your devotion time. But whenever it is, you do it every day without exception. Every day, spend time with God. It's not optional. If God is going to be first place in your life, you've got to meet with him every day. All right? Now let me just tell you what I do Practically for a practical response here. Every day I have my daily quiet time, my devotions in the morning. It's, it's me, my phone. I have the, the YouVersion Bible app on my phone and I read through the Bible every year, different, different uh, program every year. But I'm reading right now through a, a blended program. I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's, it's me, my Bible, God, and a cup of coffee. That's almost become essential, all right? That cup of coffee. So I'm, I'm spending time with God every morning. I'm, I'm reading through the Bible. This is like the, I don't know, the 10th year that I've done it on my phone through that you version. and I would suggest you either get that and do it like I'm doing it, or you do it the old-fashioned way and just read it out of a hard copy of a Bible. There's different Bible uh, programs that you can get. Some of them are even in the back of a Bible that you read so many chapters a day, and you read through the Bible. But that's, it doesn't matter what program you use, just do it. Spend time with God and watch God bless your life. He'll give you direction and he'll bless you. So number one, get time with God every day. Number two has to do with stewardship. Are you ready for this one? Okay, I'm ready because I'm I'm probably going to make some people mad. But you know what, I generally every Sunday I make somebody mad, All right? So let's just go ahead and jump into it. Stewardship. Not only do we get time with God every day, number two, we give a tithe to God every week. If God is going to be number one in your life, you're going to tithe every week. You say, well, what is tithing? It's the spiritual habit of giving back to God the first 10% of what I make. So if I make $100, I give God the first 10%. $10 $10 of that back when I come to worship. If I make $1,000, I give back to God the first $100 of my paycheck. I get to keep 90%, and through worship, I give God 10% back. It's tithing. You say that's crazy. Why in the world would anybody do that? And I've been asked that question. Why would anybody do it? It doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Well, the, the foundational answer to that question, why would anybody do it, is real simple. Because God said to. I mean, tithing is taught beginning in the book of Genesis where Abraham paid a tithe to the priest Melchizedek. It goes all the way through the Bible. The Bible says more about giving than anything else. So it's in the Word of God. Why should a Christian tithe? because God said to do it. And the bottom line is this and I, you know, if you if you take offense to this, do take offense to God and his word. If you're not tithing, you're being disobedient to God. And and I want you to see the bigger picture. If you're not tithing, you're not receiving the blessing that God has for you. Bottom line. But I think there's even something deeper than, than just that because Jesus said this in matthew chapter 6 verse 21 jesus said where your treasure is there your heart will be also now that's interesting where your treasure is is where your heart is so the reason i tithe is to draw me close to god that's what tithing does the more you tithe the more it draws you closer to god and the bible says Wherever you put your money is where your heart is. So if I put my money in recreation, that's where my heart is. If I put my money in a boat, that's where my affections are. Or I could golf or shopping or clothes or shoes. Or Are you with me? Do you want me to stop that line of thought right there? before I name your affection. Huh? That's what it's saying. Wherever I put my money, that's what becomes important to me. And if I put God first in my money, it means God, your first place in my life. Bottom line. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to sound like a know-it-all because I'm not a know-it-all, but, but here's what I do know. You show me how you spend your time And you show me how you spend your money and I will tell you what's important in your life. No matter what you say is important, you show me your calendar and you show me your bank statement and I will tell you what's really important. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 23 tells us that the purpose of tithing is to teach us to put God first in our life. And if I say, God, I want you to be number one in my life, but he is last place in my budget, then that is a contradiction. Now, let me just say this while I'm on a roll right here. The Bible teaches that giving is the antidote to materialism. And wouldn't we agree that America is eaten up with materialism? The materialism of this world says, get, get, get all you can. And the only antidote to getting is giving. And as I learn to hold things loosely in my own hands and to give things to others in need and give the first fruit of my income back to God as a tithe, it breaks the hold and grip of materialism in my life. It makes me like God. Because if God is anything... God is giving. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. So if you want to be like God, you've got to learn to be a giver. So that's the reason it draws me closer to God. What's the routine? The routine for tithing is every week. Why do I say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2. On the first day of the week. It doesn't say the first day of the month or the year or the end of the year or as a tax donation at the end of tax time, it says, but every week, set aside some of what you have earned and give it as an offering. Every week. That is a habit if you do it weekly. It's the habit of giving a tithe to God every single week. Now, I've taught this for years. Every church I've ever pastored, I've taught this one thing every year. On what day are we to do it? on the first day. What is the first day? Sunday. Why Sunday? It's when you come to worship God, all right? So when you come to worship God at your church, you bring your tithe. Now, can I tell you something? In the Old Testament, it was inconceivable to come into the presence of God empty-handed. You just didn't do that. You brought an offering to the Lord. I I think we've lost out on that. In the modern church today. So when you come to your church on Sunday, you bring your tithe. In other words, you don't tithe to the United Way. You don't tithe the international missions. You don't tithe to adopt a family. You can give to those things. Your tithe, however, belongs to where you worship. Why? It's an act of worship. On the first day of the week, you bring your tithe. Preacher, why in the world should I do it weekly? Well, I I think the simple answer to that is this. God wants to remind me that every seven days, he's number one in my life. It is a weekly reminder to me, every seven days, that God should be first place in my life. So what if you're paid bi-monthly, or what if you're paid monthly? Uh, Very few people are paid by the week anymore. Well, what does the verse say? It says, set aside some of what you have earned and bring it as an offering. So if you make $1,000 a month, you get paid once a month, $100 is your tithe, you divide it into four pieces, that's $25 a week, you bring that offering and give it to God every week. Why not give it all at once? Why? Because God wants us to be reminded every week that he is number one in our life. And if you're not here, you make sure it gets here. That's right. So what's the result of this habit? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room to store it. Now, guys, that is a powerful promise. God says if... if let me say. first of all, he says, put me to the test. You test me. You don't believe this, you test me. And, and I'll say to you as a church, if, you, if you're here and you don't tithe, you're a Christian and you don't tithe, I, we'll put it to a test. You can put God to a test. You start tithing 10% every week, and if God doesn't bless you, we'll give your money back to you. I mean, we will. You just, you just ask, and we'll give it back to you. But I believe God is going to bless you. I hear people say to me all the time, Preacher, I can't afford to tithe. And my response right back to him is, Well, that's your problem. You're not tithing, therefore you can't afford anything. Guys, let me tell you, I don't know exactly how this works. I just know it works. When you tithe and you give, God blesses. He says it, and He does it. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. I have, I have tithed uh, since I got my first job. I was like three years old when I was put into a mine shaft and had to go to work. <laughs> Not really. I was 10 years old, and I got a paper route in Midland, Texas. And the first thing my parents taught me is, will you tithe? You tithe 10%. And I've, I've tithed my entire life. And it is incredible how God has taken care of me and my family and blessed us. Why? Because we do it every week. We tithe every week. But You know what else? I'm going to say this. Can I just say this to our church? I believe a church should tithe. We should tithe. We do that as Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church through giving co-op. 10% of our income goes to denominational causes. And I have people all over the country. That, let me tell you, this church is pretty famous. I mean, it really is. Everybody in Free Will Baptist knows Kavanaugh Church in Fort Smith. People ask me all the time, Will, explain to me what you're doing in Kavanaugh. Why is Kavanaugh so blessed? I said, because we're a giving church. Not only do we give 10% to co-op, we've upped that. Since I've been here, we give 12% of your tithe income to outside causes. 10% goes to co-op, 1% goes to international missions, 1% goes to Randall University. But not only that, you are a giving group of people. I did some figuring. It's dangerous when I go to figuring. But so far, from what I've seen this past year, our church calendar year still has a couple of months in it, all right? But so far, we have given over $300,000. To outside causes. And God just keeps on blessing us. Why? Because we're faithful to do what he's told us to do. And I can guarantee you this. If you want God to be number one in your life, you're going to have to learn how to tithe. And again, some of you are feeling the rub right now. And you're kind of getting a little ticked off at me and thinking, He doesn't need to be talking to me that way. Listen, it's not me talking to you this way. It's the Holy Spirit of God talking to you. I want what's best for you. I want you to succeed. I, I, I want you to have enough to make it every month. And God has promised he's going to take care of us financially. But you know what? We've got to be faithful to him very first thing. You give the tithe. And let me tell you, Galen, can I say this? If you're having a tough time, even after tithing, making your budget, you need to go to Financial Peace on Wednesday nights. It's about to start this next Wednesday night. Biblical principles on how to deal with money. And let me tell you this. The Bible says more about money than any other subject in the Bible. Why? Because God knows what controls us. It's money. It's money. And if you want God's blessing on your life, then you need to develop this holy habit. You get time with God every day, and you give a tithe to God every week. Every growing Christian I know is faithful in these two areas, getting time with God and giving a tithe. Are you ready for me to go on? Well, Let me hit the last one. The last holy habit has to deal with fellowship. You need to get together with other believers on a regular basis. This is called fellowship. It's sharing and caring in the family of faith. The reason, Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage each other. How many of you ever need to be encouraged? Well, it looks like some of you really need an extra dose of encouragement right now. You know, we get that with other Christians because we all get discouraged at times. We need to be in God's house with God's people because that's where encouragement comes. The fact is you're never going to be an effective Christian if you try to do it alone. You need the family. You need other believers. Life was not meant to be lived in isolation. That's why God put us in families. And that's why this is called the family of faith. Let me illustrate it with, with two uh, illustrations from nature. The first are, are the mighty redwood trees that grow out in California. The first time I went to that uh, big forest out there in California, I was amazed at the humongous redwood trees. These things are ginormous. One of them was so big it had a hole cut in the base of it, and you could drive a car through it. Huge, huge trees. And I'm wondering, with the storms and the winds and the rain and the snow, how do these trees stand? I was thinking, they must have extensive, deep roots to make that tree stand. But you know what? They have shallow roots, just barely below the surface of the ground. But here's what the roots of a redwood tree does. It intertwines with the roots of other redwood trees around it. And so, in fact... A redwood tree is standing through the support of the trees around it. And I'm thinking, man, what a perfect picture of what the church is supposed to be like. We spread our roots out in our church and we hold each other up and we strengthen each other. And when the winds blow and the storms come and fall, we don't crash down because we're being held up by the believers isn't that great? I think it's awesome. Second, second one has to do with snowflakes. Snowflakes, just one simple snowflake is frail. Y'all know that, it's frail. Don't get me talking about this new generation called snowflakes. We'll talk about them some other time. Snowflakes are frail, but if enough snowflakes stick together they can stop traffic on 540. Are you with me? You can't do a whole lot, and I can't do a whole lot by ourselves, but together in a group, we can do something. We can have an impact on this city, our region, our state, our country, our world, when we do it together as the family of faith. Let us not give up the habit Of meeting together, I I hear people say to me all the time, "You know, I'm just I'm going to miss church this week. It's it's no, you know, it's no big deal if I miss, if I miss a week or two, it's no big deal." Again, you're probably going to get ticked off at me, but it is a big deal, guys. It is a big deal. Here's here's what happens when you don't show up any given week. If you're not here in God's house with God's people, doing what God has told us to do, coming together, worshiping Him, reading from His Word, fellowshipping, intertwining with other believers, if you miss a week, you wither just a little bit. You dry up spiritually just a little bit. And you string a bunch of misses together, your heart gets cold. Things start going haywire in your You're thinking. Your life becomes a mess. You need to be here every single week. You need to be in a large group setting like this. You need to be a part of something that is bigger than you. You need to come together and worship like this. But not only that, you need to be in a small group. Because in small groups, we're able to share and intertwine our roots and pray for each other and encourage one another. So you need not only the big group setting, you need the small group setting as well. That's the routine. We do it in churches and we do it in homes. Acts 5, 42, they met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So they came together on Sundays and worship, but then they met together one-on-one and in small groups. And you need both, man. You need both. To grow in your spiritual life, you need the big group and you need the small group. What's the result of all this? Well, the result of getting together with other believers is found in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. It says two are better off than one because they are more effective. And that's it. I want to be as effective as I can be and I want our church to be as effective as it can be. But it only can be that way When you're here, and when you're plugged in, and you need that, guys. I'm going to quit talking about football, really, but just one last thing about football. Playoffs have started. They started yesterday. They'll play today. Tomorrow night's the National College National Championship. I don't don't know who you're for, but I guarantee you an SEC team is going to win. interesting thing about football to me is this. You can can have a, a single player who's just, I mean, just a stud. And in order to control that great player, sometimes it takes double team. Double team blocking, double team guarding, double team tackling. It sometimes... Sometimes, it's funny to me, that, I mean, there can be this big huge running back, he just powers over people. And there can be like four or five, six defensive backs on him, all riding him, trying to pull him down. One couldn't tackle him alone, it takes a whole group. Here's what I know about 2018. Some of us are going to be facing some huge problems. And you're not going to be able to tackle those problems by yourself. That's where the church comes in. We're going we're gonna to team tackle with you, man. <laughs> We're going to be there for you. I, I really don't know how in the world anybody makes it without a church family to count on and depend on. You know, a month ago this thing happened with my eye. You know, I found out it's not that big of a deal. A lot of people have problems with their eye like this. A number of people in our church have had problems with their eyes and they get these crazy injections like I'm getting. There's a lot of people like that. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it must not... I guess I'm kind of in a group now, you know. We could start a little eye group or something, support group in our church. And, it, you know, it may not be that big of a deal, but it is a big deal to me. You know, to be told, it, you know, and I'm, I'm relatively young. Don't you all think I'm young? I mean, 56 is not that old. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. But, but to be told you've had a stroke in your eye, it was that... That scared me a little bit. It frightened me. It it bummed me out. I was pretty discouraged, wasn't I, Sister Harmon? I was on the verge of getting depressed. And Angie and I had this conversation: Do I tell the church or do I not tell the church? You know, I'm. You may not know this about me, but personal things. I'm pretty private. You know, I don't. I don't even get on Facebook. It is a tool of the. I I won't even go. But I'm a private person. So so Angie and I were talking. Do do I tell the church? And I finally decided, you know what? Yes, I need to tell my church. And the reason I told you, the primary reason I told you, is because I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. I'm asking God to heal me, but you know what? I know that God is really going to hear if you help me pray. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world do people without Jesus make it when they don't have this family, this support, this group to come along beside and to be a part of? What an awesome thing our church is. And if I'm going to make God number one in my life, I'm going to be plugged into my church. I'm going to be here every time the doors are open. I'm going to be a part of, and I'm going to participate. And and guys, let me promise you, it works. All of this works. And if God really is number one in my life, it's because I have developed these disciplines and these holy habits, and I work on them all the time. I never let up. I get time alone with God every day. I give a tithe to God every single week. And I get with believers as much as I can. And if you want God to bless your life, let's get on the boat together, man. It works.